Hey everybody, thanks for tuning into this episode. On this one, Keith and I are gonna be talking about hunting the last week of October in a new area. We talk about our specific strategy of how we go into spots and look for sign and what exact sign that we're looking for when we're in these new areas. It can be really challenging to dive into a new spot and know when to stop or when to keep pushing forward to try to find a better spot to set up. So in this episode, we're just gonna be talking about the specifics of what we do to get to those different areas. And while we're in the last week of October, what we're looking for really starts to change from specific buck sign coming from isolated bedding areas where a big buck may be living to where the does are spending more of their time because those bucks are gonna start circling around those does a lot more, trying to find that first doe that's coming into heat. We also talk about still hunting specifics, how we treat different situations. And we also talk about specific examples of how we pushed in super aggressive. And even though in the moment it felt like maybe we were being too aggressive, it ended up paying off. So hopefully here in the last week of October, you can put some of these tactics to use. Speaking of the end of October, You've only got until October 31st to enter our big giveaway. We're super thankful for all the support over the years and to show our thanks, we wanted to do this awesome giveaway. We're giving away tons of prizes. And if you want to learn more about the giveaway, you can check the description of this podcast. There's a link down there and you can go over to our website and sign up there. If you guys want to save 10% off of all bear equipment, you can use the code THP10. We've all been shooting the new bear adapt and had a lot of pretty awesome hunts that have been really great examples of why we chose the solo cam for that bow. In the last video that just went up on our channel, Jake shoots a buck in North Dakota. He was able to draw really smooth and get a shot at the buck even when the buck was standing there looking at us. So we're really pleased with the performance of it so far when we're actually hunting with it. We've also partnered with the social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild is a free social community where not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged. Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. If you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. And you can use that $10 on their shop where they have tons of hunting products on there. If you have any interest in saving some money, you can use our code THP to help you save 10% off all orders on their store. All right, let's talk late October hunting strategy with Keith. All right, everybody, Keith and I are sitting in Minnesota. It's our first time hunting Minnesota. Got a super windy day. You probably hear that blowing outside. It's moving this entire place that we're in right now. <laughs> so we're just uh, kind of hunkering down from that a little bit, and then we're going to get out and hunt this evening. But we wanted to talk about the difference between you know, still hunting and through an area trying to find good sign and setting up. And, you know, we incorporate. A lot of different tactics to find deer but one thing that we're doing a lot right now is still hunting or you know really moving pretty dang quick through uh, different areas just trying to find the sign so it's going to be kind of the focus here and obviously going to go on to different tangents another you know topic that we'll probably talk a lot about is just what exactly we're looking for in late october because here we are you know last week of october and Completely new place. Never, yeah. Neither of us have ever really hunted stuff exactly like this before, which is a pretty interesting twist to it, to where we're, we get to do the still hunting and scouting at the same time into these completely new areas and kind of just like start from scratch, both of us. Mm -hmm. It's pretty cool. How would you describe where we're at right now? Um, the one we've kind of been, as we're driving around, we're like, man, this is a lot like Western Ohio type of thing that we're like we're more used to, but it's it's obviously way way less people not like western less people but um way larger ag land and then broken up by swamps and just wetlands and swamps and small chunks of woods yeah it's been in a pretty interesting i mean i've i feel like I, we still have a lot to learn just going into new areas and we got different tree compositions in different areas that we've been that it are changing things up in the way we're looking at stuff mm -hmm. and it's it's still a, in the middle of the learning process there but yeah and i i think what we've been saying a lot is it's like western ohio if western ohio was a lot cooler of a place <laughs> to hunt <laughs> which is like i i grew up in western ohio and then uh 
Keith has family in Western Ohio, so we've both spent time in that area, and uh, you know we always compare stuff to what we're you know used to seeing the most, and we always end up coming back to Ohio, which is kind of funny, but it's always a part of the conversation. And like I would say to add on to that, what you've said already is it's it's got a lot of Northwoods feel to it, but it's not quite it's, like it doesn't have the monotonous north. it doesn't have that like i feel like the, when i think of northwoods i'm thinking of like dense pines and aspens and yeah. like just endless woods but it it has that like huge ag country feel to where there's these giant 500 acre fields mm-hmm. and then they're just wood lots and then a huge 6000 acre swamp or whatever right. in the middle of it yep and it's pretty cool because it's still monotonous once you're in there because they are such huge areas, but it's not quite like, you know, endless pines, for example, mm-hmm. like um, different parts of, you know, the north that you would get in like Minnesota or Wisconsin. And I would also add that there's a lot of CRP, a lot of cattails, um, kind of has just a prairie feel to it or like mm-hmm. a. Yeah, it still has the. It, the that's another cool thing. It's just like it has, still has the more of those upland grass species things that we see in like the plains of western ohio stuff yeah. too to where it has, like, or it iowa these, yeah just like these uh blue stem grassland type of feel but then it'll just drop down into the cattail red osier dogwood mm-hmm. stuff you think of in like northern wisconsin type stuff yeah and then just huge stands of aspen which is really unique big stands of cottonwoods like mm-hmm. it's really <laughs> one of the coolest places i've hunted yeah. honestly i didn't really think expect that coming up here to this farm country yeah. is what it looks like on the map but it's it's pretty diverse really cool and there's just edge everywhere <laughs> like like so many edges that it's overwhelming i mean you could spend you know an entire week working edges and you'd never run out of an edge to work it's it's just endless and you know i think with that being said our strategy for hunting a new area is usually drive around which i guess we've covered a lot of this in like our mapping whitetail series so if you're listening to this and you don't know what i'm talking about we have a mapping series on youtube where we kind of you know put all these things in order and go into fine detail but a quick summary of it is get to an area drive around first because you get to see you know where access points are you know maybe where it's a little bit harder to access that you wouldn't be able to see from the map and maybe a little bit easier to access than what you'd see from the map, but go kind of confirm what that looks like from the outside by driving around different areas and then pick different areas that you like within those pieces of public land and start covering edges. But like we said, there's so many edges here that it's kind of overwhelming. So I would say one thing that we're definitely focusing on is different major edges like you know aspen to dogwood or cattails to dogwood dogwood. and then ones that we can get on and walk a thousand yards on one big long hard edge and just like see it just at least follow that edge for a long time you get to see most of the concentrated sign along that Mm -hmm. and really you know you're looking for we always talk about buck sign but this, I mean, it really is just exactly what we're looking for, especially this time of the year, because that's going to help us really narrow down exactly where we want to be. But also, a lot of times this time of the year, when you're finding that buck sign, you're also just finding deer sign in general. And that's what we've really been focusing on. Today, we kind of uh, had a, a post-walk break down as we were you know hoofing it back to the truck and it's like man there's definitely super high concentrations of does in certain areas in here and where that doe sign gets super concentrated there's buck sign popping up fresh right now so we're just covering as much ground as possible still hunting trying to find where the high concentrations are and i guess you know, more of a general rule of thumb that we're doing is trying to find food sources and bedding areas that have 
that sign going back and forth to them. And that's going to look a lot different from one area to the next. Like we were comparing <laughs> a lot of it to like big timber hill country in Ohio that we hunt. And in that mm-hmm. case, you're looking for a totally different food source yeah. than what we're looking for yeah, here. This here, we've just been looking for the most viable food source, which is just like the only fields that we can find that are green and not like tilled under is one of the yeah. things we've been finding where it's like there's a bunch of ag fields around every piece of public, but a lot of them are just fields that are blatantly not fields that deer are going to be coming to. And you got to focus on, and the ones that where we found those food sources, we're finding those concentrations of does, which is where you want to be in late October. It's Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's how we've gotten to the point where we're at at least. Yeah. And I think that, uh, picking these areas on the map really, we started doing that first, but then we actually have kind of backtracked in the strategy to where we're like, okay, maybe we need to spend more time just cruising the areas again to really mark where we think there's a potential food source that deer might be destination feeding to. And then we can backtrack to the bedding area. And I think part of the problem was when we first got here and we were driving around was it was like, oh man, that public land looks sweet. Like, certainly that's hard to get to and nobody's going back in there. But that doesn't really matter if they're not in high mm-hmm. concentrations there. Yeah, the first spot we walked through, we covered two and a half miles of, like, great-looking bedding. And there was old sign in there, but then it was like, there isn't that food there. There aren't all the factors that the deer need to be there. And they were, they could have been a mile and a half away or whatever mm-hmm. from where we were at. And we just didn't see the sign. Then we went to a spot to where we had seen deer feeding in fields and we at least knew there were going to be deer in that area and compared the sign and night day difference really Mm -hmm. i mean we were seeing scrapes which i don't think we saw any scrapes in the first place where where it didn't have the food source Mm -hmm. we saw in that first place we saw maybe a couple rubs and a couple like tracks that were within the last week and we jumped um yeah doe and a fawn or something but this other place that we hunted where we knew deer were coming out to a food source we were seeing way more tracks in general way more beds throughout Mm -hmm. you know even nighttime beds was like just the droppings and like the you can tell they were just like had been meandering through that area for a long time Mm -hmm. we also found a gut pile right next to a really big what looked like probably a buck bed Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that went way past that (laughs) so that also told us that yeah, they're here. <laughs> um, but I think, I think then kind of getting, I guess, down to the nitty gritty of what the action is to get back into these spots. And this is something that like, we don't always do right. I think I've actually been setting really specific goals for this part of the hunt to make sure that I'm being aggressive enough and covering enough ground because sometimes I get hung up on, you know, tiptoeing through certain areas that maybe aren't the best areas. And you're never going to know that if you're tiptoeing, you know, all week mm-hmm. on your, on your hunt. Right. Which is like changes conditionally so much. Cause there was the hunt that we were on in Kansas where it was like, Oh, uh, video, did we go too far where you're like, I mean, in that scenario, it was like the early season. They're bedded right beside that food that we had found, and we just pushed too far. And it's like the question you always ask yourself where you're like, where do I continue to keep pushing? And like, what, what kind of sign will, should I be looking for to get myself? I mean, in that you can go down so many different lanes there. It's all so conditional. But mm-hmm. Well, and conditional, too, of how you're going to treat the, the approach, right? So yesterday we had really hot breezy conditions hot like 77 i think at one point it Mm -hmm. was in the truck and we took advantage of that time to just cover ground it was windy and hot we didn't think much would be moving we just covered a bunch of ground and you know we have these target areas on the map but as you start to get back in there what i think happens to me at least is you start to hit different pieces of sign that may you know start to reel you back a little bit but until you really have a really solid reference on what a lot of sign is for the area, you got to keep pushing through it. You got to keep mm-hmm. going and being, you know, risk, you know, going too far or 
bumping a deer because Mm -hmm. the reality is is if you tiptoe all day you never get anything done and i feel like i've made that mistake in some hunts like i know i've done in ohio a lot it's Mm -hmm. like going to a new area into ohio that's one of the things that like i've tried to get more uh it's one it's weird telling some people but it's just like don't be afraid to bump deer it's like that's i mean as we're as bad as it sounds it's like the best way to know exactly where they're at and like you can learn a lot from that especially if you have the conditions to be still hunting into a spot and not bump them like with your wind or like hammer right through them but you Mm -hmm. can bump them and at least just get down and like you know right where the deer are at and then at least at that point you're you know you're in the game Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and i think that there's been a lot of times where i've got so hung up on not wanting to spook the deer that i'll just tiptoe around and not cover enough ground and like happened to me for sure last year in ohio maybe even a couple of years ago in ohio when you and i hunted a lot together we mm-hmm. ended up finding good stuff but it took us a while and it was stagnant and extremely hot all the, yep. the whole week we hunted so it was another conditional one where it was tough for us to do that like covering ground and be efficient about it we probably we could have approached it a different way though for mm-hmm. sure and you know when we're doing that again we're going to these target areas where we think there might be a a bedding area or a food source either one and you're just looking for trails and sign coming out of them it's pretty simple you know like if you get you know to a trail that's just beat down and it's got a lot of fresh tracks on it like okay there's definitely deer transitioning from one or the other the food source or the bedding area and then if there's buck sign on that or better yet in my opinion crossing that you know, if you've got a bunch of trails, like, you know, going parallel to each other and you got buck sign coming across it on another heavy trail, that's when, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, that's really basic. I mean, that's, 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 uh, a really straightforward way of putting it in a way in uh, putting something that can look a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. But like last night we ran into that where we were on the edge of that green field and there were clearly we're going to be trails going into that field and then there's a scrape and there's like one trail that's paralleling that field yep. right on the inside in the cover mm-hmm. and it's like there's your buck trail yeah. at the very least it might not be a daytime buck trail till a couple of days from now and like you know you would consider the rut to be picking up but mm-hmm. that's the buck trail yep yep and i think that again just covering ground until you find that really fresh stuff i mean it's going to look so different in so many places but um you just have to continue to get a reference like one spot you know one big loop is just one reference and it's like you might hit five or six of those in a in a trip or a week or a scouting trip or whatever it may be you might hit a bunch of those and and you know still not really ever hit that really really good sign and that's why we always try to always uh grow the number of potential areas that we have because then, too, once you find stuff that you feel confident in that, you know, deer or bucks are using, you can get aggressive and then you can go to your plan B if that doesn't work. You just have options to keep your confidence high. That way you don't build all this confidence on this one spot because you saw a bunch of sign there and then, you know. You bump something out or you see someone else, a couple people hunting there yeah. every week and then you lose. Yeah, and then you have to start from square one. That's where we've been talking to ourselves the past really the past day because we're only on day two or whatever it's just like we we now have this spot that we've still hunted into we got a pretty good idea where we want to be on a setup and it's like now we feel pretty good using this wind today that we can just dive and do the, the same thing do a two mile loop if we have to again tonight to just try to keep breaking down these little spots mm-hmm. keep getting these plan a play plan b plan c mm-hmm. and i think too, you know, to take the, the strategy of uh, still hunting to a little bit more of a specific, you know, we've been really lucky to where we've had really windy conditions and it's made it extremely easy to cover ground really fast. And I think that when you're doing this, it's, it, it, so I did a podcast with Bo Martonic on our channel. And then right after that, I did one Um, on his and when we were talking on his so if you haven't listened to that go to east meets west podcast and listen and listen to that if if you want to hear what we were talking about in that one but 
um, he said something that I'd never really thought about before. And when he described it this way, it was like a light bulb. And I spent a, quite a few minutes like racking my brain about this mentality. When you're still hunting, and these, these are his words, when you're still hunting, you almost treat it like you would when you're shed hunting. Where when you're shed hunting, a lot of times you're just blasting through a bunch of stuff and there's not a lot of deer sign and you're just not that worried about it because what are the odds that there's actually going to be a shed in a place where there's not a lot of sign. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, if you hit that ridge that's just lit up with feeding sign, got a bunch of tracks, you know, got, uh, you know, just deer sign from the season. Rubs from, yeah, rubs yeah, or whatever, yeah. That stuff telling you that it's from this year, you slow way down, you start looking a hell of a lot harder for a shed. Same thing goes for when you're still hunting. So even in these times where we're still learning new stuff and we're covering new ground, especially as the conditions change to be less in our favor for this, it's like if we are sneaking through a spot and, you know, maybe we've been moving pretty quick, trying to cover as much ground as possible, but all of a sudden we do start hitting a few fresh rubs. All of a sudden we do start thinking, ooh, this kind of looks good. That's when we're going to start changing our tactic of the still hunt a little bit. We're going to, you know, maybe incorporate a little bit more calling. We're going to stop and listen a lot more, especially when you know you're really close to potential bedding areas. Stopping the glass more, and then we yes. do the, when you're hunting with two people, we do the, Zach gives me the little uh, <laughs> finger hand motion that's the <laughs> kind of a leapfrog thing where you're making less noise and you're moving at different times, glass yeah. and while the other person's moving, mm -hmm. being more sneaky than when you're walking an edge, just look, waiting to cut cut tracks or cut a trail, cut a rub, something like that. Yeah, and something that I know you and I have been doing now for several years, and is something that I really like doing, and you know Jake and I do it a lot too, is timing moves really specifically when you're in thicker stuff so if you're in a thick setting like you th you think there's a chance that deer are bedded closer you know you're just trying to be quiet in general too i guess it would be a combination of both of those things to me it makes the most sense to be really specific about moves especially moves that you know are going to make some noise so i think of like um there was that time that we were hunting in 2020 it was um mid-October and we went back out on a ridge that had acorns on it and we ended up seeing a bunch of, of rubs and sign and we just felt like deer were bedded close to us mm -hmm. and we were in some really dense stuff and there's going to be situations where now we're going to talk to we're going to use these examples where there's two of us but I think you could you know take what you're hearing and incorporated it into a one-man game as well and maybe you hunt with a partner so you know it could be applicable there as well but let's say there's a branch this is like you know the still hunter's worst nightmare i think it's like you're going down a trail and you can pretty much stay upright or like a slightly crouched like kind of stay in low position you're taking your time you're going right down a trail you know not making a lot of noise you're stopping and listening often but then all of a sudden boom obstacle and this obstacle is something that you're probably not going to do completely silently but you feel like you're tight to deer. You could be, you know, within anywhere from 30 yards to, you know, definitely 100 yards where, like, there might be deer here. Mm -hmm. And if you go plowing through that obstacle, you're going to make too much noise. So how I like to approach that is almost use that as a call. How can I use that to sound kind of like a deer or at least enough to make them not think, ooh, that's definitely a human in this bedding area. We better get out. <laughs> so how Keith and I approach it in that situation is the shooter is ahead, obviously. He goes through first. So let's say he kind of crouches up and under or down and under this obstacle and then comes back up the other side and, you know, a little bit gets caught on his pack or his leafy suit and makes a whoosh, whoosh, noise. Immediately in that situation, we stop and we listen because if there is a deer close, like real, real close, like bow range, 40 yards or something, and it stands up, if you give it that minute, you're going to hear it instead of having, you know, 
Keith come right underneath of it right after me, or I keep, st you know, if I'm just a lone hunter, I immediately keep taking steps forward. It's not allowing you to hear, you know, what you may have stirred up in that situation. So I really like to give little breaks after every noise. If you want to, you can definitely throw in a little light grunt or something at that too, because could just as easily be a buck going under it and the Turkey antlers yelping, getting, something right. like that even. Yeah. And we do Depending that. Depending on how tight well. you think you are, yeah. And I think that, you know, giving those little pauses goes a really long way because on the other hand, let's say you go underneath that. This is uh, this is a solo hunter um, example as well. Let's say you go underneath that and you immediately take like two or three steps, but as soon as you went underneath that, a buck heard you and thinks you're another buck, he gets up and starts making a few steps towards you while you're taking, you know, a few steps as well. You aren't anticipating exactly where he's coming from once you finally do stop. And if he's already on his way, you may be not turned in the right direction or, you know, maybe you don't even have an arrow knocked. I mean, there's a whole list of things that you could have go wrong in that situation. But if you give it that extra little second, even if it feels like there's no time and, and, and all of a sudden he's coming at you, you at least now know exactly where you're aiming, you know, all your focus. Mm -hmm. So, like, I think of a situation where you do exactly that, you come, pop back up, and all of a sudden you give it that break, but you don't have enough room to move your bow. But all of a sudden the buck's coming, and you can hear him coming. Maybe he grunts, and it's just like – He's plowing through stuff but just like you were. Well, you now, just have to make noise. Yeah, at that now, point. now yeah. you can grunt and break stuff off and make sure you got enough room to move around just at that last second. Me and uh, Ben did that one time in Iowa. Mm -hmm. We were still hunting through some tall grass and uh, we were moving pretty quick and we were moving towards where we thought the deer were coming from. And all of a sudden we looked up and it was like, big rack sticking up out of the grass but he was like probably 50 yards away which is like dang close you know <laughs> and him and i and ben and i had been over this enough to to where like we had already had this you know pre-planned out if this happens here's how we're gonna play this and um, i mean this was super cool and like we were dang close to getting this buck um and honestly probably you know with a little bit more experience like I think we had a shot opportunity, but it was the first day. It was literally the first day that he had, mm -hmm. was hunting Iowa, so he he didn't take the shot. But this buck is like 50 yards, can hear something moving. We can tell he's looking in our direction, but all we can see is his antlers, so we know his eyes aren't on us. And we just grunted and just matted down as much grass around us as we could. That way Ben could draw quietly. And as soon as, you know, it felt like we were making so much noise in that moment, but he came right to us. Mm -hmm. He came right to us. And honestly had that, you know, that'd have been a perfect situation for like the heads up decoy or something. Yeah. But even then he walked to like, I bet you he was 15 to 18 yards head on just a lot of grass between us and him to where it was harder to see his vitals. But like, you know, a lot of different situations that exact thing that we did works to where you actually kill that buck. And that was a, big old mature buck mm -hmm. so i just think that in the moment it is freaky it's it's kind of like make the hair on the back of your neck stand yeah. up when you know a buck's coming at you and you're not completely ready uh-huh but yeah that's, yeah it makes you feel like you're doing something wrong because you feel like you should be in a setup and waiting for the thing to come by but it's like the heat of the moment type of thing or it's like if that's your chance it's better to do that than to actually ruin it by mm-hmm not taking advantage of what you can. Right. Like the worst, the worst thing you can do is, is panic and freeze, you know? And, and the only, I guess I don't want anyone to listen to, you know, that example of like going through the obstacle and then stopping is freezing. You're just at least what, what you're doing there is you're listening for what might be happening again. That way you can target your focus exactly there. So that way if you do need to, you know, make some sort of adjustment where you break a dead branch or you mat down grass or something to where you can get drawn, you can do it in that last, you know, 10 seconds that you have before he's there and be ready versus still be fumbling around, look up, and he's already on top of you. Well, then you're 
then you're dead. You know, you can't do anything in that situation. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I, that that Those like really specific things, once I started to harness that idea and just put it to use, it worked enough that it's... I remember having a bunch of takeaways like the first time you brought that up to me of you're like... Uh, it was like a two strike rule or whatever you had to where it's like there's different noises that you that you inevitably make when you're walking through the woods and like you're brushing leaves or whatever you're instantly making that like bipedal noise where it's just like human walking Um, but then like you step on one little stick or whatever wait a little bit but you can keep moving if you need to but then if you hit those big like like Mm -hmm. break a big stick like you gotta just like be ready still to make your move, but just like give it a three, three to ten seconds or whatever mm-hmm. after that, and just listen. And I started doing that a bunch more. Just like every time you make a louder noise than your baseline noise while you're walking, just like stop and continue to listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's condition based too because the last two days we have. Oh, not you wouldn't been be able to hear anything. <laughs> There's no way you could hear anything walking like five yards away from you today. Yeah. So we're just like straight plowing woods right now, which is not typical of us. But we're mm. not even bumping deer doing it. Yeah. Like we're not. We seeing bumped it. one today from extremely close. Yeah. Right by a probably like 15, a, 20 yards. Yeah. Would you say. Yeah, and we were just like full speed walking on a trail at that point. Yeah. But all that time in the timber when we were moving that fast, I mean, it's mm-hmm. low visibility timber. It's not like, it's not like other areas that we've hunted where you can see, you know, hundreds of yards through the woods. This is stuff that, you know, 30 yards would probably be a stretch to see. Oh, it's moose country thick yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's a, a lot different, you know, when you've got those conditions in your favor or wind in like in the hardwoods, if you've got, you know, wind or rain, those things make a big difference difference as far as how quickly you can move through that area and and again you know when you're doing this i think you're trying your best to get to as many target areas as you can thinking about shed hunting that's helped me a lot man i I told bo when we were doing that podcast i'm like hold on you're freaking me out right now because i feel like that helped me so much and it, it just helped me really put it really helped me like harness that mentality Mm -hmm. of like actually looking at it as like one, you know, you're just looking at that one bedding area that you're actually trying to get to rather than tiptoeing. Yeah. Which I tell, dude, I'll I'll get into some stuff that's monotonous and I'll just tiptoe the whole time. And I'm like, I never did anything today. Like Mm -hmm. I spent all day doing kind of nothing, just not really hitting these points that I thought were going to be good. And then it's still in question the spots that you didn't make it to because yeah. you're like, oh, there were some rubs back there. And it's like, there can be rubs everywhere. Right. There really can be mm-hmm. because and – and there can be fresh rubs everywhere. Oh, yeah. A buck can move two miles and make a rub in the middle of the night and be somewhere else. And it's yeah. like it might look like it's sign leading back to a bedding area, but it's just – especially for this like late October stuff that we're talking about mm-hmm. where it starts to change and it's like sign is – starting to change a bunch at that point and they've also been laying it down for so long mm-hmm. at this point too where it's like we've come across some rubs today that are a couple weeks old even yeah, yeah. if not a month or more yeah. now i mean heck they could be damn near two months old now mm-hmm. and i mean if you get hung up on that yeah that can be really misleading if you can't tell exactly how fresh it is yeah yeah where yesterday we found a rub that was green looked like it happened mm-hmm. that morning and then we proceeded to jump a deer yeah. you know which a loud sounding f- deer with some clacking antler lo- noise <laughs> yeah. even as it was running yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay you heard that too then oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> whoops and then we actually ended up seeing a buck in that direction and it, that kind of even makes me wonder if it if wasn't it was just that yeah. buck honestly mm-hmm. Because then when I first saw him, he was doing something weird, like he was running. Yeah, I remember seeing that as well. But he was not running away from us. He was just kind of like acting nervous. And then I almost think he might have been dogging that doe too, because that doe was acting weird, cutting through that. And then he was right on her trail afterwards. Mm -hmm. So we also, um, at that time frame, total side note, (laughs) saw a wolf, or at least what we believe is a wolf. So be be watching for that in the videos. It's pretty crazy. Just like. I saw it, and I was like, oh, Keith, we already got deer. So we actually climbed a tree, which is not something we typically do. Keith and I brought the saddles in and climbed a tree to get a visual because this stuff's really flat. And we get up there, 
and we're putting the uh, sticks up and I'm pretty far up now and I look out there and I'm like Keith they're already moving and I pull my binos up and I'm just like coyote <laughs> and then I'm like man that thing looks awfully long and then it just kept turning and I kept you know messing with the stick and then you know while I was waiting for Keith to hand me a stick I'd glass again and I'm like that doesn't look like a coyote and I I mean we filmed it a little bit it kept bedding down. It kept standing up, shaking itself off, and spinning in a circle, and it would bed right back down. So we only got a little bit of footage of it, and we were also trying to hang the stand at the same time, you know, so. I'm yeah. sitting there watching my six, making sure the wolf <laughs> isn't coming up on me. <laughs> when I told Keith it might be a wolf, he looked at me like, dude, are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, be ready. <laughs> I want to circle back to the late October time frame. Because this has definitely been a time of the year where you know, we've had some pretty good success. I mean, both you and I and THP in general and, I mean, kind of everybody. A lot of people probably. Yeah, yeah it's probably. the turning point of the season. Yeah, and the the sign shift in the, in the way that I feel like we're treating buck sign changes a lot. Where earlier in the season you might be trying to find, you know, more of a lone buck bed where he's kind of out doing his own thing. Does are kind of in a slightly different area, usually not terribly far, but you know, they're doing that, like put, putting themselves behind their does. Like mm-hmm. I've heard a lot of people say before where you find like there's the food and then there's does on it and then there's spikes coming out behind them or whatever, younger bucks. And then the bucks are positioned further back mm-hmm. and like you're, or you're looking for like the Missouri and stuff like that. Kansas, we would find, three rubs and you're just like oh my gosh like i'm probably right on top of this thing after you find a few 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 rubs and then a lot of times you are they're just 100 yards from the sign they're laying down but yeah yeah and there's more of a chance of like bachelor groups that Mm -hmm. time of the year where now bucks are gonna be transitioning to areas where there's does and you know a lot of people that have trail cameras are gonna see you know, bucks making bigger loops, more bucks showing up on their trail cameras, stuff like that. And I think a lot of that just stems from does in that area. So, like, a classic example would be, like, you know, and a pretty classic example of where somebody would have a trail camera is on their food plot, right? So, previously in the season, there's been a handful of does on this trail camera coming out and feeding every night, but then all of a sudden... October 23rd rolls around. It's just like, wait, you know, <laughs> there's two really nice ones that are <laughs> yeah. coming through now. And they might be at two in the morning, but they're coming through there. Mm-hmm. So when we're in a public land setting, just, you know, boots on the ground scouting is our only reference, which is exactly what we're doing right now. We're as m- much looking for the does as the buck sign, you know, like we'd mentioned, a lot of that buck sign is just popping up now, inevitably where those does tra- those trails are going from food to bed. And there's a really good example that I have, one of my favorite examples. I probably have a couple, but favorite that comes to mind right now is because I had some of the craziest hunts ever back there. Was in 2018, I was hunting with Ted originally, and I've I've referenced this hunt a lot today. So you're going to know about it. But I was hunting with Ted, and we went in on the canoe. Oh, okay, yeah. And I guess the first time we went in there was probably the 25th-ish, 26th of October. And up to that point, we had been hunting in Iowa mostly during October. And all that you know we were doing was covering as much ground as possible, just trying to find high concentrations of deer. Well... About that date, the 25th through 26th, all of a sudden it was like, whoa. Like, there are deer everywhere in this spot. Trails just hammered down. Tons of buck sign, you know, on edges, you know, where you could tell those bucks were making these little cruising loops within either the bedding areas or really close to the bedding areas. And it was just pretty clear right out of the gate that there was going to be a lot of deer in there and I think even that first day that we took the canoe in I think I stood up on the canoe and I could see a small buck moving already and it was like you know two or three in the afternoon well we ended up seeing a nice buck shooter buck that night didn't get a crack at him 
and uh, we couldn't go hunting for, I think it was like almost three days. I can't remember if we were editing. We must have been editing, and I, I know Ted. I know Ted went um, to a wedding because it was it was uh, <laughs> Peyton's wedding. P. Mm. Wagner hunts. That time of year he got married? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Not cool. <laughs> Not cool. <laughs> but Ted had to bail, so for whatever reason, I was not able to go. I must not have anybody else to go with that year. But anyhow, um, we finally got to go back on the 30th of October, and we that was like the hunt where we canoed in, and the buck was – with the doe in the dark or whatever yeah. and then it yeah. got daylight and he was like bedded right beside us and chasing off other bucks and then ted left because he had to go to missouri which is also a funny little side story because he was so frustrated because he didn't want to leave and i remember him like being you know super grumpy about having to leave and then he turned around in that on that trip was the trip that he shot that huge missouri mm-hmm. buck so it's just ironic that he was like complaining about having to leave because then he ended up just going <laughs> yeah, and shooting a huge buck but but it is funny when you're invested as a cameraman oh yeah like you're just as invested as oh, the you hunter don't miss so, out. Yeah. yeah you don't want to leave mm-hmm. like that's that's kind of what's cool not kind of what's cool it's like the coolest part about yeah. what we do is it's such a team effort that mm-hmm you can't just bail on your buddy you feel like you can't yeah so that's where he was like frustrated but it is ironic because i remember sending a snapchat like you know quoting ted like i don't want to leave like oh, i gotta go to missouri i want to stay here and you know <laughs> film these bucks and then like sh- and then like shoots biggest buck ever <laughs> so then that night jake and i saw that same buck that we saw on the canoe and the same buck that ted and i had saw and then the next day, Logan and I went in there, again, saw that same canoe buck we saw from the canoe, and then ended up shooting a third mature shooter buck that night. And that was the 31st. Uh, it was either the 30th, 30th. or 30th. I, I think it might have been the 30th. Yeah. But the whole point of bringing up that story is, is here's three mature bucks and i don't necessarily know that those mature bucks were spending all their time on that public land that season prior to that but they definitely were once it was time for first does were yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. and like all of a sudden it just went nuts and there's big bucks in there moving like crazy i mean that buck that we ended up shooting was chasing a doe all over up there and that was it pretty early still you know and i think that it's kind of uh, it's kind of obvious that the bucks are going to be making that transition, but you can really take advantage of finding a really big buck. I think, you know, the, your, your bigger, older bucks that time of the year, just because when you do have that high concentration of does, like where else are they going to be? Mm-hmm. They kind of have to be in those spots. Yeah, mm-hmm. There's obviously exceptions to that rule, but you know, another, uh, cool thing about just like October sign that was, I mean, I've never, I've never really been around to hunt October and November in Iowa to see just like that massive amount of sign, but just like the spot we've been hunting to that we actually got all of those bucks that have been harvested just like within kind of that all of those bucks all of those bucks <laughs> this year really close to that region and like every time we would hunt in there were just like the ridge tops would just be like loaded with sign but then like Warb said one thing he went back into that spot a couple of years ago and bumped a buck out of a spot where right where Ted's buck actually ended up dying, which is mm-hmm. pretty interesting. Um, and he's like, there's no, he's like, there, you won't hit any sign as you start going down that hill. Like there won't be sign or, you know, relatively nearly as much sign down towards those bottoms. But the tops were just like, seemed like every tree was rubbed and there's just like three opened up scrapes and stuff like that. And you can hit that a lot of times and just be like, gotta set up like this is this is the hot sign but like in that scenario it was a little bit earlier in october it's like i think there's also the sign that you're seeing where cutting doe trails or whatever but there's also that like buck clashing sign mm-hmm. to where it's like they're coming up from all these different bedding areas and they're meeting on those ridge tops mm-hmm. and you start you, there's just like all that sign because bucks are meeting yep there's however many different mature bucks down there that mm-hmm. are coming up to all those ridge tops yeah like we ran through all those different does that are living up in that area when we made that muzzleloader harvest 
the first month loader harvest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where you're like pushing through all that, all those does to get back to the spot where those bucks are at. Yeah. I want, so first off, <laughs> we're t- Keith is saying all these bucks because <laughs> we have a pretty sweet run of YouTube videos. We just posted the North Dakota video last night, which is a harvest. And then it's like going to be boom, boom, boom. So, mm-hmm. uh, be looking forward to that. And hopefully also even after that, if, if we can do some good here and then, the other places where everybody's at, you know, maybe boom, 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 rolling. Yeah. from there. But I want you to talk about that Iowa hunt because I learned a lot from what you've told me about it so far. Kind of talk about that, you know, commitment to mm-hmm. pushing to and where like you thought stage the hunting were. too. I think was a big part of the, like what we talked about. We had hunted in that spot a few times. We had that ever calm video that we put up yep. to was right in that spot where we had like hunted into these spots found sign hunted it didn't quite work out or you know a deer likely a buck blows at you at six forty-five p.m or whatever <laughs> so it's just like you're just out of the game and uh we were me and ted were just looking at spots for one evening and we're just like let's go to this spot let's go to this spot and then finally we're just like like no let's just ted was just like i think we should just go back right back into that spot and just like not spread ourselves too thin like we we would kept going in and just seeing a ton of sign just being barely out of the game he's like let's just keep hunting it in and uh two different times we pretty much were just like we we got to push in a little bit further and finally when he made that harvest we it was like getting too ahead of myself gathering myself um (laughs) we basically were pushing in on these ridges and you'd see these huge scrapes like one huge scrape up by the field corner and then you just follow the rubs down each one of these ridges you'd be following smoking rubs down and we were pushing through we probably bumped eight to ten does as we were moving down these ridges and like we just kept pushing and greg said he was just thinking the same thing it's just like every every doe you bump is just like man that sucks but it's like it wasn't a buck yeah it's just like you gotta (laughs) keep going like it's just like you feel better almost every time you bump one. It's just like, well, we're getting further and further back into right. this stuff. And we finally, we got to that spot where it's backs up to a river. And, uh, we're just like, this is where literally every single piece of sign that we found in the past three or four hunts into this is like pointing right down to these spots. And like, instead of being up on those ridges 300 yards away, which we have, we had done on three or four different setups, we pushed into a hundred yards from this spot and, that was when we shot that deer and just like i don't i mean it was situational there too and like that has another thing to do with the deer density in the area where there's so many bucks and there's so many deer there there that like you're seeing an overwhelming amount of sign but you got to just we had to just keep pushing to actually get to where those to bucks get to are the X, right yeah because, because the other thing is too you probably had a suspicion the entire time even on hunt one Uh-oh. which might have been five hunts prior i think from the beginning it was like man we know this spot's good maybe he'll make it up to this spot yeah and it's just like, eh. like yeah yeah i don't not, mean yeah like you just you can't not. force you uh-huh. can't force him to do it no matter how much ever calm you get on the tree, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like you can't get him, mm-hmm. you can't will him to a spot mm-hmm. where you got to like get in his zone. And sometimes it's, it's tough because as hunters, you know, we're taught bumping is bad. Mm-hmm. And I think that when I look back on some of my best hunts ever, I've thrown that mentality to the wind and we're trying to do that here. I'm not mm-hmm. saying we're blatantly going out bumping deer, but we're not cutting ourselves too short yeah because we're bumping a doe and like puckering up and being like oh bad we're going too far like we're just going right to where we think that big buck should be on Mm -hmm. the map it's like and like one out of every 10 times you do that you might go in and and bump that buck out or whatever like me and ben had had a hunt one time and we were following like crazy hot sign going into this spot and like we got 60 yards we were about to set up and we pumped a bucket like 60 yards mm-hmm. and like that's gonna happen every once in a while but like a lot of those times you might also push in and have a really really good chance at doing that rather yeah. than just being 200 yards out of the game mm-hmm. yeah and actually with ben uh one, the one that i remember bumping quite a few deer to get to the one we ended up shooting was um the one during gun season gun one yeah yep we bumped several deer going mm-hmm. down through there which 
I mean, in that part of the world, we weren't seeing a lot of deer. <laughs> yeah. So to bump one makes you feel even more, you know, that's a complete opposite. Yeah, it makes opposite. you feel better, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, it's it makes you feel better in one way, but then in another <laughs> way, I was actually about to say it makes you feel it both. Mm-hmm. It it's weird, you, yeah. Because you're like, okay, yeah, they're here. This is good. But, but now the they're not hand, here because like, I bumped them. <laughs> yeah, did, I, did, did she take the buck you uh-huh. know, over the ridge that I, and I never even saw? But mm-hmm. I think that, you know just not worrying too much because there's always going to be another hunt, right? I mean, unless it's the last day of season, like there's always another Mm -hmm. hunt. So you kind of have to just cut ties with the expectation that I'm going to do this perfectly and just try to do your best to get to where you think you have a legit chance. Because, you know, the other thing that we talk about a lot and I've been trying to remind myself a lot this season is just because, we bump one or just because we don't get one doesn't mean that we can't come right back in here and get one. There's been a lot of hunts mm-hmm. where I've had a series of pretty dang aggressive hunts in an area. And it's not until that last one where you get that mm-hmm. opportunity, you know? Yeah. I think you have a really good chance. Like a lot of people say, and I think it's definitely true. You're one of your best chances is your first time into a spot, but also the more and more you learn in a spot and the more you can chip away. If you, mm-hmm. if you're not just like blowing right through it every time you're hunting right. it, which right. like, likely you're not doing yeah and there's there's a you know goes back to the still hunting thing a little bit at least it's like if we're going to go into this area let's say let's say the area that we scouted this morning we know it's good we saw a lot of good buck sign we know there's deer in there that's fresh sign okay let's say tomorrow morning we go hunt it and we don't get one well then we know our next hunt we have kind of that availability to push up again Mm -hmm. we can move up again and feel confident that hey we're not going to blow this up but when we're still you know when we're working our way into that area we can move really quick and then once you hit that spot where it's like okay you know even though even though we didn't get one here yesterday we're gonna have to tone it way back to sneak into that final little setup if that makes sense like you have to change your pace a lot based off of where you are in relation to that and just you know, I know we can blow way back in there as fast as we can until it's time to hit the brakes. And mm-hmm. it's like we get yeah. off the trail, we get off the path, we get to where we're sneaking through stuff. And then you get like a 150-yard window rather than 600 yards yep. that you're trying to tiptoe to get to a spot that you're pretty confident is good. Yep, yep. And I think that I just feel, you know, if you watch THP, I don't think – you necessarily always know the like the personal dilemmas or like strategy failure that I think that we feel sometimes or where we can improve. And like, I know that there's been, you know, a lot of things that I'm extremely proud of that I feel like I've done well the last couple of years, but then there's some things that I feel that I've not done as well. And definitely one thing that I haven't done as well is, you know, knowing when, it's time to move fast Mm -hmm. and knowing when it's time to slow down. And sometimes I'm just, because I do feel so much more confident at still hunting at the still hunting strategy that I know that I can do it and not spook deer ever, no matter what the condition is. So then I'll end up like spending too much time doing that instead of just getting to that good spot. Mm -hmm. And then I'm never there at the right time or, you know, I wait too long at first light and, you know, I don't want to go in there, you know, before daylight and spook all the deer well it's like you may not even be there like just get there see if it works or not and then move on And like mm-hmm. there's definitely little things that i feel i need to get back to my old ways and honestly i've been saying it a lot lately so you know if you've been listening to the podcast or whatever maybe you've heard me say it it's like i definitely want to get back to being as ultra aggressive as possible and i know you know that's not everybody's style but for me with the situation in which I feel I'm hunting often, which is, you know, new areas pretty much all the time. What works best for me is just being really aggressive, going in there, seeing if it's worth spending more time in it or not, and then getting out and then Mm -hmm. going somewhere else. Instead, like last year when I was hunting with Roy in Ohio, there's a lot of new stuff, some, some stuff that we'd hunted before, but a lot of new stuff and, you know, even just new ridges within a piece and I just felt like looking back on it now, it's like, man, what were we taking our time so much for, for so mm-hmm. much of it? Especially it's, in a spot like that where you're like, 
we know there's not a ton of deer so it's just like right you're not really gonna have to tiptoe around a bunch of deer to like read the sign that's in a spot like yeah. that you just have to go find the fresh stuff yeah. and once you find the fresh stuff then you can pull you know really pump the brakes but mm-hmm. It's not worth pumping the brakes every time you see a rub mm-hmm. or every time you see a scrape, especially because all the sign that we're talking about that's around the does is going to continue to get greater and greater. Yeah. And it gets harder and harder to read as... And it's November 15th and there's rubs everywhere. Yeah. 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 And you're just like, you know, you're, you're constantly getting hung up on stuff if you let yourself, but if you just keep going to those spots that you think make the most sense for, you know, whether it be bedding or feeding... But those two being your base, you know, areas that you're looking for, once you go straight to those spots and find that sign, then it's time to, like, back off. But until then, don't tiptoe. And that's just something, man, that eats at me. It's been eating at me for too long because I look back at, like, you know, when I was first starting to still hunt and ground hunt, I didn't have an agenda at all. And I still don't, but, like... To the point of it just, like, nothing really mattered at all. Like, mm-hmm. we were just going to go in there and, and hunt and mm-hmm. kind of figure it out as we go. And now – and I feel like as I've gotten to a point where I know exactly how I want to treat that slow time, I just do it too much or, you know, I get into a bad habit of, like, get, getting locked mm-hmm. on that, if that makes sense. I think, like, if you're new to it, too, to, like, ground hunting, like – in 2019, I was bumping a lot of bucks. Uh-huh. I was in a, I was in range of a lot of bucks, like on some setups too. But I like I was bumping a bunch of them, just hunting by myself. And like, I feel like I just learned a ton doing that. Yeah. And like it, like at a, a certain point, it got frustrating because it was just like, well, okay, I need to like tone it back at some point. <laughs> but it was just like it also it was like super valuable. Yeah. And like, you don't want to just pull off to a parking lot to where there's other people hunting in there and do right, that. Right. But like there were some spots where it was just like, I, it was just a, a more of a new thing to me. And it, I feel like that was valuable to me to just kind of just be like, well, no matter what happens, it's like, I'm just going to learn from this. And at some point it's going to work out. And I shot yeah. a three point that year. He <laughs> <laughs> is broken up. Shot a broken up one that came old to a warrior, grunt. Old yep. warrior. <laughs> Three point. Is that really all he was? I think so. His entire uh, his entire left side was broken, so it was kind of just a shaft on his left side, and then a couple points on his right side. He had been fighting. He was coming oh, to yeah. a grunt. It was oh, an yeah. awesome hunt. It was an awesome hunt. I mean, it, the funny thing about that. I mean, you say three point. I mean, it <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious. hilarious. Yeah. yeah, it was a two and a half year old. Yeah. I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it's just. It's just, funny. <laughs> it's just funny. It's funny you say that though about 2019 because I feel like 2017, 18 was kind of like, you know, really where I was getting a bunch of experience doing the ground hunting thing, hunting a lot with Jake, and then also just like, you know, doing a lot of ground setups and getting a little bit more confidence in the still hunting. And then 2019 for me, I felt like it was like hit the stride. It was just like feeling super confident being super aggressive, but I was also hunting areas that I knew really well. And that air, those areas were in Iowa. Yeah, that's true. And New York, but, Mm -hmm. but, but I didn't know, which I didn't know New York well, I guess, but Mm -hmm. was hunting super aggressive in those two areas. Those are the areas that I remember hunting or states. I remember hunting the most that year. And maybe I did more, but, um, but in those spots I was hunting real, real aggressive, not really worrying about too much, just, you know, just going with the flow and I feel like I need to get back to that a little bit more and be okay with like, you know, the bumping or the occasional bumping too. Cause it's not like it happens every time, mm-hmm. but I mean, even then it's like, you know, in 2019, the buck that Ben and I bumped, like we, you know, shot him later that afternoon. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, sometimes you get so hung up on like the little details yeah. and then war bumped that one in 2020 yeah, and yeah. a couple of days later shot him. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, and I think about that. I think about, all these experiences that me and my friends have had. And it's just like, man, in reality, you know, being more aggressive, at least for us has worked really well. So, I mean, don't, yeah, just if it, if you take anything from this, don't worry too much about anything. And I mean, we say this all the time, but you know, just go out there, have fun, take the experience, learn from it. And then 
apply it next yeah. time. Just learn from literally everything you do in the woods ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we're hoping that uh, we don't have to learn how to run from wolves later tonight. but Or put a roof back on. <laughs> <laughs> it's so windy out here, which is great for moving around scouting, but it's not great for comfort or just like listening to anything you go outside <laughs> and it's so loud for so long you get back in the truck and it's like ah ears are kind of ringing yeah <laughs> but hopefully you guys like the podcast if you guys have anything that you want to hear about here in the next couple of weeks i mean obviously we're going to be thinking about deer a lot we're going to be out in the field a lot and hopefully creating some awesome videos we got a bunch of cool stuff in the works so if you have any topics you want to hear feel free to send us a message and We'll try to incorporate it best we can. Appreciate, you know, all the messages that we've got so far uh, with feedback and, you know, different topic ideas. So thanks for listening. Keith, thanks for chatting. And mm-hmm. Catch you all on the next one.